SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 66 with guests Ricardo Muti and Chris Finlan. Today, are Chris Finlan and Ricardo Muti from the SQL Server Reporting Services team. Uh, both are program managers on the team. So, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Nice to be here. And so, what I get you to do, just quickly, first up, is just get uh, just a little bit of your background and how you come to be there on the team at the moment. So, maybe Chris. Sure. So, um, I started. Um, at Microsoft a few years back, uh, I joined as a pre-sales specialist talking to uh, large enterprise customers in the mid-Atlantic region about the Microsoft BI stack. So I worked with about 140 companies, ranging from companies like Comcast to local hospitals to a number of companies in Pittsburgh like Heinz Ketchup. So um, that experience and uh, talking to them led me to the product team where I joined when, after the data zone acquisition, I joined that team as a program manager, and I moved out here to Seattle uh, last summer. And then once the uh, capabilities around data zone were being migrated into SQL Server Reporting Services in 2016, um, the role in the team opened up for uh, doing work around that and some of the other parts of the stack. And I was uh, you know, seeing the potential of reporting services and the excitement around that and what we could be doing with that going forward. I was happy to join the team, and it's been great working with Ricardo these last few months, and uh, that's where we're at. Great. Awesome. And Ricardo? Yeah, I've been uh, at Microsoft for about uh, five and a half years now, maybe coming up on six years. I've, um, in a way, been on the reporting services team the whole time. That was the team I joined. Um, but the reporting services team has actually been behind uh, working on a number of different products. Um, Mm-hmm. Around the time that I joined, we were actually working on what evolved into uh, the version one of PowerView. So I worked on PowerView. Um, yeah. That evolved into Power BI Desktop, the, the interactive reporting in Power BI Desktop, as well as in Power BI, the cloud service. So I worked on a lot of the foundational stuff in Power BI. And then a few months back, I came to uh, return focus on what you traditionally think of as reporting services to try and mm-hmm. revitalize that product for the, the customers who want to stay on-premises. Um, previously at Microsoft, I worked in uh, IT consulting, and I actually used uh, reporting services in a lot of the custom development projects that we did. So it was uh, that was one thing that made me interested in joining the reporting services mm-hmm. team in the first place. Awesome. Actually, it's interesting you mentioned revitalize. So the uh, I suppose that's something that uh, we should get out of the way early on. Is the uh, up until SQL Server 2008 R2, it felt like the product had quite good momentum. Yeah. Um, then it sort of, well, we have to say basically stopped. Uh, it felt like for, certainly for the on-premises product. Um, and I think part of the problem there is it sort of missed the whole mobile BI wave at the time that I think started uh, really around 2010. And and people were feeling a bit sort of forlorn about that. And uh, what I'm really hearing with 2016 is people just seem to be now really excited uh, and that there's just a renewed energy there. That's right. I think um, around that time, there was a lot of emphasis on a couple of things. Uh, one was this shift from traditional IT-centric uh, reporting, enterprise reporting, to self-service BI. And so mm-hmm. everybody wanted to get on the self-service BI train and have some story there. And I think that is the business rationale behind why all of the investment in 2012 went into PowerView, really, over reporting services. Actually, I shouldn't say all, yeah. but 90%. Um, mm. And so there actually was quite a lot new in 2012, but it was just a kind of totally separate workload and, and sub-product, which was PowerView. Um, yeah. 
I, think I mean, Pout was, was an awesome. It was an awesome thing, uh, and, and has now evolved very, very nicely. I think the the other thing was that the only other things we noticed added at the time were things like data alerts and so on, which were very uh, SharePoint focused. Right now, I think one of the, one of the tactical issues with how that was actually done was that uh, recall that this was started around 2009. And uh, so at the time, HTML5 and the tools to build HTML5 applications were uh, very immature. They weren't really fully big. Mm. And um, Silverlight had really established itself and WPF as a, as a real solid .NET-based development platform uh, where you could yep. build these really rich applications. So the decision was made to build it on Silverlight. Now I think we would look back at that as kind of a fateful misstep, but yes, with hindsight being 2020, uh, you know, it was months later that the iPad would be introduced. And, of course, then yeah. everybody was thinking, how do how do we make this work on an iPad now? So I think what we put ourselves in a position where strategically we put a self-service BI product, and I agree with you, it was a great V1 of that product, um, mm. but it was implemented in Silverlight, which then forced its stuff to do. Uh, and that's yeah, a, a complete port uh, to HTML5 without a lot of new functionality. And I think mm. the thing that compounded that was then there was the shift of, We've got to have something in the cloud. We've got to have a cloud service. And mm. so it, you're right. It did evolve into this very, very robust product now with Power BI Desktop and Power BI. But it never looped yeah, back right. to make it back to an on-premises offering. And so that's what we're mm-hmm. trying to do with our roadmap now. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the Silverlight one was certainly fateful. I've got a, a fellow RD colleague, uh, Adam Kogan, and I remember Adam was doing lots of Silverlight development. And the very first day he walked into... Uh, he was telling me into a, a like a CEO type place, and they said, sh- you know, how make this appear on my iPad, and like that was the last line of Silverlight they ever wrote, yeah. um, because he just knew that that wasn't going to be a future. So, so this is great. So, sort of moving forward. So, look, if I look at the things that actually one of the things that excited me in 2008 R2, uh, which I'd sort of be interested to know how many of these sorts of things are there, but in 2008 R2 there were an enormous number of little things got fixed. Um, things that won't actually appear on brochures and so on. Um, and it'd be, I'm, I'm just uh, hoping along the way that there's sort of emphasis on some of those little things as well. Um, it's always great to have all the things that are going to go on the marketing brochure, but I sort of wonder about, you know, uh, things that just make it easier to literally build reports and so on. Yeah, I think a number of the new features that we have are really going to help with improving the overall usability and user experience of the product. Uh, mm. One of the big ones that I would name is just um, the default styles of all of the charts and gauges and maps and visuals that you create in the traditional reporting services reports. Um, yep. I like to joke that, you know, the themes were ocean and forest and mahogany. Slave. 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 <laughs> one of them was hilariously called corporate. <laughs> Apparently there is one yeah. universal agreed <laughs> standard for what a corporate chart looks like. Um, yeah. but, I mean, they're all quite classes. In classes I teach, I have students who said to me that the next choice is how ugly do you make your report Yeah. when they got that screen. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the other thing I like to say is reporting services, you, because you have so much control over the chart, forget the defaults, you can make the chart mm. look as beautiful or as ugly as corporate-style uh, policy dictates. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, but we are overhauling all of them, so they're, they look really nice and modern. They're very, very uh, well-aligned with the visuals that you see in Power BI now. So. I think you're going to be able to create a really beautifully modern report in a tiny fraction of the time that it takes today. So it's, yeah. it's a little thing in one way, but it's a huge thing for somebody who really uses the product day to day. So maybe we start with the portal. So we still have the ability to render, uh, I suppose we would have said traditional reports, but I noticed they now call them paginated reports. That's cool. Yep, just a sort of a differentiating term. Yep. Yep. And so the other ones that uh, mentioned in there are mobile reports and KPIs. So maybe just KPIs first up, uh, because that will be new to most people Sure. Uh, in terms of the portal. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the big thing with KPIs, and as I mentioned previously, um, my experience in the field, so I actually was talking to a number of customers about data then even prior to the acquisition, and the mobile scenario was a key one, obviously, in terms of what corporate executives were looking for. So what you'd often find is that, you know, the data zone product for these types of mobile reports and KPIs appeal to the highest levels of the company. So when you're talking about mm-hmm. the, you mentioned the marketing brochures, 
I think one of the nice pieces that I've been able to bring to the team and certainly the relationship Ricardo and I have, you know, I've had this, uh, obviously this view where I've been dealing with these large customers and knowing exactly what they might be interested in in terms of, hey, this will be something that would really excite people and get them interested in the product to buy it. But at the same time, mm. Ricardo's been able to temper uh, some of my feedback in terms of uh, the types of things that potentially you mentioned earlier in terms of these smaller things that wouldn't necessarily show up in the brochure that should be yeah. prioritized over some of the uh, the whiz-bang features. But mm. getting back to the, you know, the KPI piece, that was one that really got people excited. I mean, the, the anecdote that I like to tell, and this is a true story, is we were meeting with the BI department of one of our customers, and I was talking about um, talking about data then at the time. And the feedback was, well, we, you know, we had just gotten feedback from our CEO that uh, they wanted to see their KPIs while brushing their teeth. And mm-hmm. it seems like an odd scenario, but at the same time, if you think about the, the type of work and their travel, what they need to do, they want to have their information about their business at a moment's notice right there on their mobile device and having that information on their phone in an easy-to-look-at way, you know, whereas somebody like myself, uh, you know, prior to joining Microsoft, I was actually at SAP doing a lot of BI work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd be spending hours and hours in front of my PC, not really traveling a whole lot, so having a PC-centric view of things would be fine. Here it's, you know, in between calls, they want to quickly open up an app, see where they're at with some of their businesses, because in anticipation for their next call, they're meeting with the Western region and they need to know why exactly they're not meeting their targets for that particular time in Q4. So, you know, having that capability now baked into reporting services, you now have this great way for people to not only see these on their mobile device, but in terms, once they get into a portal you now have these things immediately jump out at you in terms of being very visually obvious where you're at with your business right now, having them updated on an ongoing basis, being able to pick and choose certain ones that you want to favorite, and, and you know always make available to yourself as something that every day these are the things that you're looking at again and again because they're the most valuable part of the business that you need to be looking at. Yeah, I, th- I think there are many, many people in the organizations for whom the uh, the mobile device will always be the primary device that they're using. And uh, I think anything that people build that's always a sort of a PC-centric predominant view will will not necessarily fit with things going forward. Yeah, to add to that, I, I think even from a even for the, from the perspective of somebody using a PC, I think the KPIs in particular are a really nice complement to reporting services. And the mm-hmm. reason is, uh, I think reporting services has always really been good at that very detailed kind of reporting where I go to the report portal, which used to be report manager, and I see all my reports with tons of information. I can go and click into them and see tons of details. But if you step back and you just look at the home page of the portal, I just see a lot of reports, a lot of folders. I don't see – it's hard to get a pulse of how's my business doing today or yeah. how's my part of the business doing today. And now you take the KPIs, you combine them with the ability for individual users to favorite the, the KPIs and the reports that really matter to them because many of them won't go matter to mm-hmm. other parts of the business. And I start my day by going to my favorite screen, and I've got a bunch of KPIs, and I see very quickly at a glance, I don't even have to open a report yet, how's my business doing? How's my product doing? And then mm-hmm. what's nice is you can link those KPIs to drill-through actions, so I can click one of those things if, I, if it warrants me investigating further. And I can get a whole report with all the details. Uh, but just at a glance, before I even open the report, I get a nice sense of how things are going today. And so maybe what I get you to comment on, guys, is just the experience for somebody designing these mobile reports and, and why that's uh, – or how that's going to look. Sure. So, you know, one of the things that was most popular with DataZen was this unique design-first experience where inside the context of the publisher – you could go and actually draw out your report first and have that simulated data created as you move your items on and off the canvas so you could work with, you know, again, going back to the scenario I talked about earlier with an executive, uh, I had this come up all the time where I'd have to go into a meeting and there'd be somebody asking for a report or dashboard or whatever it was, and then you'd have this very long back and forth with them, either via email or phone calls, et cetera, to try and get that nailed down because they'd have some sort of vision in mind, but every time you'd have a change or the data would change, you'd have to make, Mm -hmm. you know, a number of uh, updates. Where here, if you were able to sit down, draw out the entire thing, no, I'd really like to see this, I'd like to see this as well, why don't we change that, resize that, you then have that ability to see, okay, now that I've gotten everything laid out specifically as I want, the simulated data will show you the the results you need to bring back in your query to just make that work. 
and then you have mm-hmm. this ability again to then choose the form factor you want to um, you know optimize for. So you have your you know a PC view, a tablet view in terms of a you know not a vertical layout, and then a phone view, and then you can you know use those same mm-hmm. elements and lay it out in a way that's optimized for each of those different form factors. What was interesting is that, uh, you know, you have these abilities to consume these across all these mobile apps, but we often found a lot of people still use it in the context of a web browser as well. Yeah. And what's nice about RS is you're going to have that full native app support across all the different devices. Um, right now mm-hmm. there's iOS, but we'll have Android and Windows here over the next month or two mm-hmm. where you'll have that ability to take those, you know, consume those via the native app on the device, use them offline. So if you're, in a, you know, you're on a plane or something and you can't necessarily get back to your corporate servers, you'll still have the data cache locally that you could then interact with inside of the application. Uh, but you also have all of the stuff in terms of if you're using a web browser on your device for whatever reason, um, for some people, potentially they aren't using the mobile apps or they have certain security requirements in an organization or they just want to have a, a big uh, TV screen where they're showing one of these particular reports. Uh, they'll, this is all designed to be very responsive to the form factor. So you can actually, you know, if you mm. re-drag how the, uh, how the browser looks to a, more of a form factor, it'll resize automatically in the context of the browser as well. Mm. So it's something that's very much designed for a mobile optimized experience to give you yep. this great experience across all the different devices. So again, all of those principles are things we brought over from data then into mm. RS, built on the same technology to really give you that uh, unique experience. Mm. Can you design your own form factors in that? I've never tried. Uh, no, there's the three locked form factors right now. You do have the ability mm. to do, you know, slightly different canvas sizes in terms of the number of elements you potentially put on there, but there's yep. no ability right now to specifically uh, customize one of those. Mm, I'm just thinking as phones and tablets and things evolve, um, I, I suppose, again, that's the sort of thing that could be pushed out along the way anyway. Oh, sure. And, I mean, again, we do have some flexibility there in terms of being able to update the mobile runtime, both on the both in terms of the publisher and then in terms of the server. That's something we carried over where you could potentially update that incrementally without having to update your entire RS instance. So you'll just be able to upload mm-hmm. the runtime. You know, we, we introduced a new element onto the publisher, which is something people have been asking for for quite some time. There's some mm-hmm. elements we'd like to introduce in terms of like a KPI element in the context of an actual mobile report. Um, giving people those new elements to be able to update the, you know, update the server, very uh, lightweight update versus having to do a full, you know, full update yeah. and full SQL process, and then on with the publisher as well. So again, there's certainly a number of things we'd like to do to improve the experience as we move along. Hmm. Look, yeah, and look, the new portal looks very fresh and and much much um, a much improved experience. Actually, one question comes up in that though: if people don't like the look of that. Um, is it clean CSS3 based or something? I mean, can people change the style easily? So one of the neat features that you're going to see here um, being introduced in one of the upcoming uh, release candidates just prior to uh, GA is that you're going to have the ability to do full custom branding for your mm-hmm. portal. So you'll be able to introduce right. you know, an entire color scheme, a logo, and they've actually it's actually a very very simplified experience where it's just a, a collection of items in JSON file that you can quickly mm-hmm. update, and then you're able to upload it to the server, and you can immediately change the look and feel. And then there'll also be a color scheme you can then apply to all of your mobile reports, or changing the potential options for KPI values in terms of red, yellow, green. So yeah, I looked at. That's awesome because I, I know again in classes uh, one of the very first things people ask about report manager is the the portal uh, is they ask how do I make it look different mm-hmm. or how do yeah. I make it look corporate I suppose is yeah the, the question. well and I think it's 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 great that you worded it that way because I mean um, we want to get as many different enhancements into the product and one of our tactics for doing that is for everything look at like the eighty ninety percent scenario the, the top thing that mm-hmm. people want to do and make them happy. And um, with the custom branding stuff, yeah, some people want to radically change the look of the portal for sure. I'm not discounting that. But certainly the 80 for 90% scenario is like, let me put my corporate logo in the top left. Let me put my company Mm -hmm. name in the top left. Let me brand the thing with my corporate colors. And that's really 80 to 90% of what I need. So that 
I think we've made that very simple and straightforward. Yeah. And that's a big addition, I think. Yeah, and even even yeah. though that, that functionality was in data then, and obviously that was something that I would always highlight in terms of talking to customers about the product, and it's something that mm-hmm. people use quite a bit. Um, the scenario for putting together a brand package for DataZen was much more complicated than what you're going to see for RS. We, we you yep. know, there was, a, there was a real focus on simplifying that experience and making it something that'd be much more manageable and for for users to do, and and something that you could quickly add to your to your corporate environment in a way that was an elegant upgrade to your experience if you wanted to, and if you didn't, you could easily remove it and then just move forward with the mm. portal. And so, and we pick up mobile reports now, of course, with uh, after the DataZen acquisition. So, how integrated is that situation now? And so, in terms of mobile report publisher and mobile reports in the portal. So everything is just part of RS now. It's you know it's an element mm-hmm. in the catalog, and mobile report publisher ships uh, it ships out of band, but it's something that's specifically related to reporting services. So you're not using Data Zen Publisher to publish to RS or vice versa. It is you're yep. truly using all of the native functionality that's in RS, where that's been enhanced to handle these report types. The mobile report publisher has been built specifically from the ground up for. Uh, reporting services, the mobile apps that you'll use, which are the Power BI apps, and you can see this in iOS right now, will connect mm-hmm. to an RS instance and allow you to visualize those items through those apps. So it's a, so it's all been, you know, you're getting all of this out of the box in RS in 2016, where you have a single machine that you can set up and get working with this stuff right away. Both your traditional reports getting that whole new experience with the portal and then with the mobile reports and KPIs. Mm-hmm. And look, and conversely, we can now take parts of paginated reports, so our table, our gather tables and charts, and pin those to Power BI dashboards as well. Well, we don't have the tables uh, yet. The tables so not tables yet? Okay. Yeah, an interesting challenge because the, the tables usually don't have a fixed size. They're something that mm-hmm. grow and grow and grow the more rows you have. And so translating that into a tile on a dashboard is really useful. You know, should it mm-hmm. scroll or what, what should it do? is uh, something that will take a little bit more work. But we do have charts, gauge panels, maps, and images working um, for uh, a nice these, set of content. Do these work similar to how we had uh, the ability to publish parts of reports before or new uh, mechanisms? I'd say it's a little bit different. I'd say it's actually quite similar to if you think about how um, email delivery works. It's The scenario mm-hmm. here is I want to monitor a important business metric or business trend. And I've spent a lot of effort over the years uh, preparing the data, writing the queries, building the report, uh, getting this chart or gauge in my report and formatting it just the way that I want. And I've, I've got it delivered to my email inbox every day, and that's how I keep an eye on my business. And uh, we don't expect that to go away. Anybody who predicts the death of email continues to be wrong. Um, mm. So, I mean, if you get them, if you're getting these reports in your email inbox and you like it, you know, all the powers you keep using it, I, I definitely do. But yeah. we are seeing, of course, that the, the base of customers who invested in reporting services are also starting to gradually open up to uh, using cloud services. They're starting to use Power BI. And the dashboard feature in Power BI in particular is a really nice place to go to, again, get a pulse of your business. How's everything going? And pin stuff and collect stuff from all sorts of different types of reporting systems that have it all in one pane of glass, so to speak. And mm-hmm. so here you can take these reports, these, these charts or gauges in your reporting services reports that you've worked so hard to look just the way you want and, and have a nice way of visualizing these business metrics and trends, and you don't have to go and recreate the whole report in Power BI just to get into the dashboard. You don't have to go and do some mass migration uh, overnight of all your reports to the cloud. You just leave the report where it is and take this one chart or this one gauge and say, pin it, and it'll be on your dashboard. It's just delivered there. The same way the whole report is delivered to your email inbox, this one chart or gauge is rendered as an image on the schedule and then delivered to your Power BI dashboard. So now the first thing is that the updates to that, I remember last time I looked it was like hourly, daily, weekly, something like that. Yeah, those are actually just defaults in the... uh, in the dialogue that you get when you pin, they're just convenient mm-hmm. defaults. Like usually one of those three will give you what you need. Under the covers, what happens is we actually create a subscription for you. And okay. if you want to go into that subscription and make it run every 15 minutes, you can do that. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so, and how does the communication between the on-site and the Power BI site occur in that case? 
Because one is on-prem and the other is in the cloud, you do need to do uh, a little bit of initial setup. We've tried to make it pretty straightforward mm-hmm. and easy. You uh, On-premises are the, the big challenge is authentication. And yes. on-premises, you uh, are using Active, Active Directory most likely, whereas in the mm-hmm. cloud, Power BI sign-in works via Azure Active Directory. And so yep. you need to kind of authorize the on-prem thing to talk to Azure Active Directory and talk to your Power BI account. And uh, so when you set up your report server in the reporting services configuration manager, there's a new tab where you can say, register this report server with Power BI. And you sign in with mm-hmm. your Power BI username and password. And then it basically creates a, a registration or an application in Azure Active Directory that says yep. this particular report server is able to communicate with this Azure, Azure Active Directory and Power BI tenant or mm-hmm. the domain of users who are going to sign in. And now mm-hmm. they're linked. And now as each individual user goes in and says, I want to pin to my Power BI dashboard, the first time they do that, they'll get the typical sort of OAuth prompt where it says, do you want to let this report server mess with your Power BI dashboard? And they can choose yes or no. Mm. Now, and so they chose head down that path rather than the enterprise gateway that Power BI is using? Yeah, the, the Power BI gateway really is a way to allow the Power BI cloud service and potentially other services in future to mm. reach into your on-premises uh, environment, connect to a data yep. source, and pull the data up. So the scheduling mm-hmm. and everything happens in Power BI. Whereas here you have mm. a scenario where you have a reporting services server on-prem, it's already got scheduling and delivery to various destinations. It's really yep. delivering and pushing out the content to various places. And Power BI is just another one of those places. Yeah, that's good. What indication do you get if it doesn't work at the other end for some reason? That is a little bit of the challenge with having it as a push. The, the thing that does the push mm. or the pull is the one that knows about whether there's a problem. So Power BI is simply kind of a, a passive listener in this scenario, just as if you're yep. using the, uh, the push API for Power BI from any other application. Mm-hmm. It's the source application that really will know that there's something wrong. So because these are typically reporting services users who are doing the pinning in the first place from the reporting services web portal, um, Hopefully, they're continuing to use the reporting services web portal. And if there's ever a, a problem, like your, your sign-in expired, we need to sign into Power BI again, you'll see that mm-hmm. issue in the reporting services web portal. You'll get a little alert in the top right that says, we need you to sign into Power BI again. You do that, and then yep. everything is up and running again. Okay. Now, in terms of the basic sort of building of reports, I mean, there's a, I suppose, the first question is always new controls. So notice uh, tree map and sunburst chart. Are they the the two there? Those are the two, yeah. And the scenario is um, that those are very optimized for if you have hierarchical data. Um, like mm-hmm. a typical example would be like product category, product subcategory, product. You can show how the data breaks down across that hierarchy. Yep. No, that, that, they actually look really good. And we got the ability also to render out to PowerPoint. Yeah, so we started with Excel. We had Excel years ago. We added Word back in 2008. This is a, a nice way to complete the big three of the Office applications so you can export to Word, Excel, yep. or PowerPoint. And I presume uh, for a paginated report, that, that gives you uh, a slide per page? To a degree, yes. It, in mm-hmm. principle, yes. But the difference is that a slide, by default, in PowerPoint has a very different page size and shape and orientation mm, exactly. from a yep. typical, you know, eight and a half by eleven letter page. Mm-hmm. So you will see less on each slide than you would see if you export the same word. You can actually mm. completely override that behavior and say uh, there are URL parameters where you could say, no, I actually want a portrait orientation eight and a half by eleven PowerPoint presentation. It'd be a little yep. odd. So we keep the default as will fit what we can on a widescreen uh, 16 by 9 PowerPoint slide. Mm. Um, and then what's nice is that each individual chart or gauge uh, becomes its own PowerPoint object. And then that mm. means that if you're not immediately satisfied with what ends up on each slide, you can consolidate, you can move stuff around, you can move things around. objects. So you can yeah. customize your presentation after you export. And in fact, what yeah, we usually see right. is that this is just a nice convenience feature Rather than doing a bunch of cumbersome screen clipping, a couple of mm. clicks and you've got all the content in PowerPoint format at least. And then you might be including this in a in an existing presentation that you're working on with other non-reporting services content. 
Yeah, that's correct. And in terms of the, uh, I suppose, next one there is the printing. Uh, and previously, one of the issues was uh, the use of ActiveX controls. And so now that's gone across to just send it to a PDF. Yeah, and that's uh, actually following some precedent that we already use in other applications. If you ever print from uh, Word Online in the browser, they use pretty much the same approach, so we felt no need to reinvent the wheel there. Um, it, mm. it, this is basically a solution to two problems. We found it's always been a problem for uh, our customers in the enterprise, our support teams, because printing required you to install an ActiveX control. And yep. in, in many enterprises, as you probably know, the typical end user isn't an administrator on their own machine. They often can't no. install software and can't install ActiveX controls. So now no. the enterprise is burdened with this, okay, we've got to set up some process to push out these ActiveX controls. It was always a big um, challenge for our customers. Um, mm. The more recent problem is that ActiveX uh, is really only limited to Internet Explorer. So if you're not using Internet yes. Explorer, you didn't even see the print icon. So that's just not acceptable. That might have been acceptable yep. when 70% of people were using IE or whatever the mm. metric was. But, I mean, today we want to have a cross-browser application. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I look at uh, – that's right. I mean, yeah, all the typical Chrome users and things. Plus, also, I'm presuming Edge as well. Cause, uh, that Edge as well, exactly. I mean, our own, yeah. yeah, our own browser, I mean, has dropped support for these plugins and ActiveX controls. Mm. It's just a more modern approach. And I think what's nice is that when we built the ActiveX control, you had to do your own custom print preview Experience, yeah. which we're in the already built building in. a BI yeah. application, not a print preview application. <laughs> yes, yes, so yes. it was a pretty subpar print preview experience. Whereas now you yeah. get Chrome's or Edge's native print preview experience, which I think is a lot nicer. Yeah. Oh, indeed. And look, the um, actually even with our own applications, we used to always. Uh, when we're calling the web services, we'd always retrieve it as a PDF and open it up anyway, because e even if people had a PDF reader, everybody has one on, on their desktop somewhere. Um, right. But the the other thing it did is it most of them automatically did landscape portrait as well. Um, and that was an issue with the previous ones where even though you could go and print, you'd then have to choose the appropriate thing. It, it wasn't sort of like in, uh, in a browser that's always never been a great experience where if you have a PDF renderer, most of the PDF renderers, I mean, even if you had every second page alternate landscape portrait, it would just sort it out for you. Yeah, so we actually, when you click print, the, the very next thing you see now is a simplified dialogue where you it defaults to the page size and orientation that, that was authored in the report, mm -hmm. but you can override it right there before you generate the PDF, page size and orientation, portrait or landscape. Yeah. That's good. Actually, on the subject of the, the PPT ones, uh, is there any thought to having sort of, uh, I mean, I'm thinking if you really did want to uh, target it, uh, for sort of like templates or something already in there, PPT size? Yeah, that's something that we've thought about. Um, I don't think any of these features that are so, sort of brand new features in this release, we would ship them and then that would be the end game for that. Yeah. Depending on the mm. customer feedback we get for this, if people love, so far we've gotten very positive reception to the PowerPoint export, but of course people point out it'd be even better if it did X, Y, Z. So we'll collect yeah. that, and um, I know one of them would be, for example, we've heard that uh, when you export a table, that having the table uh, text be editable even after um, export to PowerPoint is one of the yes. things that would be higher on our list to address after yeah, the yeah, yeah. initial release. No. Totally. And, uh, and also now the designer, so we've now got uh, the uh, one, I suppose, uh, equivalent of one designer. They keep referencing in uh, the integration services guys, uh, but there's now the uh, the tooling sitting inside the Visual Studio 2015 shell. Yes, you can now use Visual Studio 2015 to design your reports. You can use source control and all that Visual Studio stuff. Um, previously, you were limited to earlier versions of Visual Studio. As for the effectively the add-in that you get for Visual Studio that adds all that BI stuff. Mm. Um, there used to be, it's called SQL Server Data Tools. There used to be one download for database engine and integration services stuff and a different download called FSDT BI that was for analysis services and reporting services. And that was just really confusing that you had to download these two different Completely. things. Completely, yeah. Yeah, plus the other download for BI was like a gigabyte. So it was a pretty hefty mm -hmm. download. Now Actually, what, what what was scarier with that is each update to it was also a gigabyte. Yeah, so not the ideal experience. <laughs> I really don't, you know, for the life of me, know why they split those two things apart. Um, 
it always used to be um, they, they, it was very different from the approach in the past, and I don't think it improved. Mm. So now uh, sanity has been restored. There's one download. Uh, if you have Visual Studio already, it's it's like two orders of magnitude smaller. I think it's like a megabyte or yeah. less than a megabyte download. So much is there going to be patching via Windows Update though, and small patching, or is it uh, download new up new versions? But like, how do you get notified, or is it only if you're in the product, or? The, so the Visual Studio stuff is the core of Visual Studio is, is passed through Visual Studio, which I believe they do deliver mm-hmm. critical updates depending on severity through Microsoft Update. Um, the SQL Server Developer Tool stuff is now a pure out-of-band web download. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't know actually completely exactly what cadence they will keep up after uh, it sort of gets the RPM brand, but so far every month yep. we've been shipping uh, another update. Hmm. Yeah. Well, in fact, yeah, it's the same thing with the Power BI design. Um, sorry, Power BI desktop, not designer. Um, but with the Power BI desktop guys, uh, again, they tend to about every month or so have a new version to download. I'm sort of hoping that one will end up inside Windows Update or something as well. Yeah. In terms of getting the notifications for the updates, having a more uh, mm. centralized way to get those notifications is interesting. I don't know of any short-term plan to do that with uh, mm. some of these components that have their own notification systems, but it's a fair point, something that's come up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. one thing, just one point to build upon that. So one mm. of the pieces of feedback we would get from customers, so if you think of the the traditional conversation you'd have at the line of business level and, you know, yeah. my background, I often talk about my time in shadow IT. Once you bundle something into Windows Update, you've taken control out of the departments to potentially go ahead and make the update themselves because at that point, sure. IT would then block certain things. So even if you, you know, if it was an elegant way to do it, your users potentially would not be able to have it. Now, having it in both places may be a solution to that, but that's something where we would get feedback around, you know, well, there's the latest yeah. update applied for X. It was coming down through Windows Update. It just wasn't happening because that's not the way their IT department mm. worked. Yeah, no, that, totally. And uh, it, it's actually one of the things that's interesting with Office 365, exactly the same thing. I, I actually l- love the idea that it just keeps patching itself and so on and getting better. But but that's right. In various enterprises, that's a problem. The other scenario where I find it's a real problem for us is in things like training, um, you know, where one day you can be sitting there and you're going to have the, the best documented training course in the world. And, and then you say, click on the and then people look and it's not there anymore. Uh, or it's moved moved to a different location or something, and and that that's actually diabolical. Uh, that that sort of thing. Um, it is one of the challenges going forward uh, that I think is going to be. It's really hard to know how to do because even things like historical blog posts, where people will say, you know, click this, do this, and you can have walkthroughs. Those sort of things can be completely removed from being relevant quite quickly. Um, and, you know, where normally there's this sort of uh, built-up set of knowledge over a period of time, but I'm thinking, you know, things like videos or uh, training courses or books or all of those sort of things become very much more difficult when when uh, just routinely things can just completely change. Yeah, I think I don't know if there's any magic solution for that. I think part of mm-hmm. that's on us in that as we want to ship more frequently and iterate on the product more continuously, um, that means not just the bits, but it means the documentation, it means the videos, uh, it mm. means any training, it means um, webcasts, all that sort of stuff that also happens at a faster or more continuous pace. Uh, mm. It does create the same challenge for those outside of Microsoft who are also creating materials. Uh, yeah. But I think everybody's kind of having to come to grips with that with software increasingly being delivered as a service. So. Oh sure. We all kind of have to figure it out uh, the together. Azure, I guess. The Azure area is the the, the absolute uh, <laughs> uh, best example of that. Now we, we I've you know done things like delivery of training sessions, and literally Sunday night you can check out every single step of every lab, and then Monday morning it doesn't work. You know, it's like <laughs> that's actually really scary. Um, uh, that sort of thing. But you know, like again, it's the one portal, and in that case, you've got no chance of uh, making it stay still. Where at least on premises, that's right, you'd have some degree of control over what comes through and what doesn't. So. Yeah. One thing that I would add to that is I, I think documentation and um, training materials in general are also evolving along with this. I see this happening mm. that in the past you'd have a bing bang release of a boxed software product, and you'd have a 
a big comprehensive end-to-end hands-on lab that would go ahead with it, and you'd have a yep. big uh, extensive, you know, how to do this tutorial article that goes along with it. Just as the updates to the software are becoming more incremental, like, hey, this month here's a new feature, and here's what's changed, and here's what's improved. I think um, the documentation is becoming more bite-sized as well. It's like, here's mm. a YouTube video this month that's uh, five minutes about what's new and what's changed, and it doesn't go over the whole end-to-end scenario again uh, from from months ago. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting. The uh, when you're putting together something though, let, let's say you wanted a day, uh, two days on a reporting service, or three days or something. Um, people typically want to see an end to end. How would you use this? Not, you know, here's a whole lot of five minute things that sort of show you how to do various tasks. Um, they're usually after a slightly more bigger picture. But but anyway, look, it's it's not a ch- it's not just a reporting services challenge. It's across the board at the right. moment. Yeah. And the um, the other one uh, is the parameter layout, um, while we're on the sort of design type things. So the um, again, there was a lot of uh, desire previously to have some control over how parameters were rendered. Um, yeah. So now we've got the ability to move them around. Is there thought to being able to choose how they're rendered at all or be able to replace that? Uh, just to clarify, when you say how they're rendered... Oh well, for example, if if I see a type of a drop-down list that has an option to be nullable as well, you know, where they've had the checkbox with the null beside it, and you might go, well, no, actually, I want to do that differently in the drop-down box. I just want it to be an option to choose, for example, or or things yeah. like that, you know, where people are saying, uh, you know, I'd like a little more control over that. Um, but you know, I presume that's a lot tougher than the, you know, how how do you lay out the parameters? Yeah, I well, I would. The insight that I would give into that is the challenge that we were faced with was um, I look at there as being a lot of opportunity for us to improve parameters. It's actually something that mm. really it was shipped in the first version of reporting services you know, a decade ago. I yep. think uh, actually more, probably about uh, 12 years ago. I think in 2005 or so, um, they introduced a couple of enhancements like multi-value parameters. Um, yeah internal parameters that are not visible to end users that you can use for programmatic scenarios. Um, Really since then, in literally a decade, they haven't really evolved any further. And so they think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of debt to make that better and make it more modern. Um, And I think that's a backlog of 10 plus different improvements. Um, You would expect that when you type into a parameter these days, you'd get um, autocomplete. Yep, um, you would. Search and parameters. Something that's very common, like a uh, date range. I want to pick a date range. If you look at the yeah. time navigator in DataZen and in the new mobile reports, you just drop this thing and it handles again that 80 to 90 percent scenario of let me select this month, last yeah. month, last quarter, um, just without doing a lot of that work yourself. So I think there's a lot of mm. things that we can do. Uh, I'll throw in the ability to translate parameter prompts into different languages. A lot of users ask about that. Yep. But there's this laundry list. We could we had two choices for this release. We could make we could invest a ton in parameters for this one release and make that the theme of this release um, mm-hmm. and not leave a lot of room for other stuff. Or we could pick, like, the top thing and th- th- address the number one customer complaint and look at it as a beginning and after this mm-hmm. release continue to chip away at that big backlog. And I think we chose the yeah. latter, and that's what allows us to do things like a whole brand-new web portal and a ton of other enhancements, mm-hmm. the mobile yeah. BI stuff. So that it turns out that the number one customer complaint was hey, it's just ridiculous that I'm limited to two columns on today's widescreen HD mm-hmm. 4K displays. It's yes. eating up half my screen. Let me lay them out nicely across the screen horizontally. Um, mm-hmm. And just give me more direct control so it's less frustrating. It's more straightforward for me to put each individual parameter just where I want to put it. Just where I want and, it, And yeah. so that's what we did. But I think that there's a, a remaining backlog of tons of things that we'd like to continue to do. Mm. So Ricardo, uh, Actually, on the... On the subject of things that haven't changed in a long time, the expression designer or expression editor, has anything been done in that area at all? Uh, No major changes to the expression Mm. editor in this release, other than to say that previously you were limited to using uh, .NET 3.5 and earlier, so you wanted the actual content of your expression, you're calling out the custom code that your organization may have. Um, We've fallen behind all of the cool stuff that you can do in the later versions of .NET 
And it's mm -hmm. great to see that we were able to uh, transition reporting services to being a .NET 4-based application. So you can use yep. the very latest stuff in the .NET framework 4.6 um, mm. or even later uh, minor versions of, uh, of .NET as they, .NET 4 as they came out. Yeah. Um, another one on that same topic is uh, code that's included in the report. Does that apply to .NET 4 as well? It does. You can use .NET Framework 4.6 code in your report. So um, uh, one of the interesting scenarios actually was uh, things like uh, SQL Server Always Encrypted. If you're familiar with that yep. feature, uh, yes. can, using that feature actually requires .NET Framework 4.6. So yep. us being tied to an older version of .NET Framework was a blocker in making that work. With us having mm -hmm. ported it to .NET 4 and supporting 4.6, you can now use reporting services with Always Encrypted, which is a nice scenario. Ah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, that that's good. Actually, the, the only other thing in the in the case of um, embedding code in reports is I've always sort of wished there was a better way of sharing the code, right? Uh, so, for example, at the moment I can embed. I, I like just seeing formatting functions and things, but I can put them in my templates or whatever. I can put that in the reports. But if I go to share that code at the moment, I have to do that via .NET DLLs. And I really wish there was sort of like at least a design time trick or something where I just have one place to edit that code but have it actually embedded in the reports. Um, and the reason I say that is that when you use a DLL, you, uh, the problem is you then buy yourself a deployment problem and it also becomes an admin deploy where a report otherwise isn't. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, I think we'd really have to look into the details of Okay, so there's some sort of design time experience where you can write this code once in one place and then reference it in different reports, but reference it in a design time way. I think the challenge yes. becomes, well, when does it get updated and how does it stay in sync? Because Correct. come deployment time, it really seems as as though it it does kind of kind of get baked into each report and might not update mm. automatically, which you trade one problem for another. Uh, but I hear you yeah, in general uh, on the deployment uh, problems uh, with the external assembly. So I, I think we are going to be looking mm. – one piece of context is with SQL 2016, we're really looking at uh, the server product that ships with SQL Server. We have a date where that's got to go out to customers, and we're trying to get as much value as possible in that release. Whereas all the developer stuff uh, ships out of band. It can ship month to month. Uh, it, mm. Even after SQL Server is locked down, really, for, for that release, we can – month to month provide value to the developer story. And so I think we have a bunch yeah. of stuff accumulated where we want to work on that. Uh, we mm. usually had a pretty strong developer story with RS and we want to keep that up. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's great. Yeah, as I said, I, th I think that's the thing is that um, I'm just thinking that with the one designer now where basically uh, to target different levels of servers, you seem to now go through the build process anyway, which build wasn't an issue before, um, but being able to do a build that you could sort of, you know, you then have that hook to be able to say, well, if you're going to do a build, you could actually go and replace the code. Yeah, I've actually had a number of interesting discussions with people about the the whole build thing. So for, for context, when mm. you, you build a report in, um, in Visual Studio, it tends to build it, it tends to save the file and generate and save the file uh, that you've mm. designed in the current version of the report file format, the latest yes. version. But then when you build it, you can say on your project, well, I'm going to be deploying to this version of reporting services, which has not all mm. of these latest features and doesn't support that format. It's not when you save the file, but rather when you build or deploy the file through Visual Studio, mm. that it goes through a process of being downgraded, if necessary, to that target file format. Mm. And that tripped a lot of people up, understandably, because they expected it to happen at save time. Um, yeah, I think there's this perception that with the one designer, they'd be able to just open and process and work on any version of project, and and that's not kind of how it works. Right, and that's actually not new. I, I think people mm. see it as a change in 2016, but it actually goes back to the way reporting services worked uh, all the way back to 2008 R2. Uh, but I think mm. because there weren't any uh, major changes to the product that bumped the file format uh, in yep. all of those years, uh, people have forgotten about it and now see this as new. Uh, mm. But I would agree with people that it's not the most intuitive. Um, it, it does make it a little challenging to, uh, another scenario would be people having different versions of Visual Studio and collaborating on the same project. It becomes difficult. Exactly, yeah. Um, or even the ability I was, to, was, I was going to say, even the ability to export a project from the current designer 
to one that could be read by the previous version. Right. Once we go forward, there's no going back. And another scenario yeah. that I heard from a customer recently was, oh, they actually don't use uh, builds through the UI in Visual Studio. They use MS mm. Build. They use a programmatic yes. process that doesn't hook into that stuff yet. Um, so yep. I take heart with all, all those issues. And um, the other thing that's changing is we're we're getting into a mode more of shipping report builder, the, the more uh, mm. less sophisticated, simpler, more user-friendly version of this for the non-developers out of band of SQL Server as well. So you just get it as like a web download. Yeah. And Actually, it was my very next question, is that it has a new interface. What's the – there was a, a feeling of almost a few years back where it felt like they kept adding more things to it and like it was going to replace Report Designer or something. Um, and one of the concerns I had is that it was actually becoming more IT-ish the further they went down that path. You know, right. so, so for example, when you open it up, the very first question, you say it's an end user reporting tool, but the very first question it asked was, do you want to build a report or a data set? Yep. And for the average end user, that's, uh, that's, that's not a good question. Yeah, I, I, I think that Report Builder, if you look back at Report Builder 1.0, was that yeah. generation's like attempt at a word. self-service BI yeah. tool. <laughs> Yeah. I think we would look at that now, knowing that what we know about the self-service BI market having matured, and us as an industry having figured out what people really want from self-service BI. And I think we look at, say, Power BI Desktop, which we will support in, in reporting services, um, yep. as our self-service BI tool. Um, so I would position that as our self-service BI tool for data exploration for the, for the business data analyst type user. Um, this yep. is really about – it's a – it's not conducive to data exploration. It's about somebody who knows what they want. They want to build a report. And the only distinction between Report Builder and Visual Studio is that visual, the, the, the developers who want to integrate with Visual Studio projects, source control, build, and deployment tend to prefer to work in Visual Studio. Uh, but it yep. is a little bit just too intimidating, too steep a learning curve for the non-developer who's still pretty savvy when it comes to writing a SQL query, creating a data set, there is that uh, higher tier of data analysts and report builders who know how to do that. And we actually uh, have a pretty sizable customer base of users using report builder who fall mm, in that persona. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the, the other one, a couple of other minor ones, or not minor, but a couple of other things just to tidy up. Um, there's also enhanced work around subscriptions. Uh, there are some minor enhancements to subscriptions, yeah. Um, it was some work that was done a while back, actually, for one of the earliest CTPs of SQL 2016. Um, mm. And one of the notable ones is supposed to be that you can now temporarily pause or resume a subscription. So you can you can disable it for a week, for example, and then turn yep. it back on. Uh, another often requested one was you, if somebody has a subscription, they leave the company, and you discover, oh, the subscription that's mm. been putting this thing in my email inbox all these months and years is... Uh, owned by this person who's just left. So now an admin can come in and reassign ownership of that subscription. Mm. And there was also, um, was it shared credentials for file shares as well? Yep. Um, so if you have a subscription delivering to a, a file share output and uh, you tend to use a specific service account for that, you can configure it as a shared account and then reference it from all the file share mm. subscriptions. Yep. Um, one other question I had in terms of the overall rendering, uh, there's a discussion around better support for high DPI screens. Um, and so what's sort of happened in that? I must admit, uh, I'll give you my position on this, is in Windows 8, uh, when they first introduced the auto-scaling and all that stuff, it was like the bane of my life, to be honest. Um, uh, because to give an example, I had uh, three screens that are all 1920, 1080. They were different DPIs. And I would have something that fits on one screen, drag it to the next one, and suddenly it wouldn't fit on the other screen. You know, this sort of thing. Uh, yep. it, it was actually really clumsy and really frustrating. So I got to a point where I just endlessly set the, you know, make everything have the same uh, DPI uh, sort of option on the screens. Um, and it just, it every time, every now and then when there's a new operating system, I seem to just try and... Uh, live with the auto scaling support, but it seems to just cause more problems for me than it solves. And I noticed on the uh, MVP forums, the guys posting about the uh, management studio issues they're having, and, and again, just you know things that just become unreadable and so on in in that sort of mode. And 
I'm just sort of wondering, like, how far down that path has anything gone? Because I think it was just Report Builder, isn't it? That's um, it's actually just Visual Studio today. And and so mm-hmm. the, I I agree that there's some pain with, um, they did make some tweaks, at least from my perception as well, with the operating system in terms of um, how it chooses the default DPI scale. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to kind of infer from your resolution and what it can tell about your screen size what the mm. default. Uh, DPI should be, and sometimes it defaults rather than to 100%, it's 125% or 150%. Yeah. And that's where you get some of those issues. Um, I suppose there was a, probably a laudable aim in that they were trying to have apps that looked the same on every screen. Which, uh, which, I think they which, may have which, just which, overshot in the sense that you see yeah. it with slightly different screens, which really wasn't the scenario yeah. at all. The scenario no. is if you get your... Um, you retina screen, your 4K screen, yep. and you put it at 100%, a or, uh, everything's ridiculously tiny. And so they did need to do yeah. something about that. Um, mm. And that's the scenario that we're trying to make sure that we play well with, with uh, Visual Studio first, and we probably will need to turn some attention to Report Builder eventually. Um, mm. But if you'll see that you just do everything at 100% on these giant, extremely high DPI screens, uh, it, things are just unusable. Yeah. What about the developer API? So anything, the new endpoints or anything in that area? Yeah, so today you have a simple URL access-based API if you want to embed a report in another application. We're making sure that with the new web portal you can uh, embed a either a paginated report or a mobile report in another application using a, a simple mm-hmm. lightweight means like that. You also had the SOAP web service if you wanted to do web service, yeah. uh, more uh, management operations or just more advanced tasks. That was really your your heavy development API for reporting services. Yep. Obviously, people today don't want to use a SOAP web service, and it also is a little bit sluggish in terms of latency of spinning up that proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't contribute to the snappiest of applications. Uh, we have done some groundwork to build a new, modern, more restful API that we hope to yep. evolve into a developer-facing API to replace the SOAP API. Under the hood, that's actually what our mobile apps and what our new web portal is using. Right now, it's an internal API, and we hope that sometime in the near term, we'll actually flush that out into a, a proper RESTful API, perhaps something based on OData. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we think we've invested in some good groundwork for that. Uh, will the web service API still be there working, though? Yep. So the SOAP yep. API, until mm-hmm. that transition officially takes place, uh, the SOAP API remains what you would use uh, today. Yeah. And I suppose the final question is just directions with, uh, say, Power BI Desktop. And, of course, at the moment it builds things that go to Power BI, uh, being able to build things to head towards on-premises. Yeah, uh, we look at that as the successor to what we started doing with PowerView and then evolved into mm-hmm. this cloud thing and never quite made it back on-prem. So this is where it's going to make it back on-prem is Power BI Desktop will be your self-service tool to go and connect the data, explore it, and uh, perhaps end up creating a pretty nifty interactive report. You can then uh, publish that to a reporting services server, and of course the idea would be that you, uh, as an end user, could click on that. It's something you could get shared with you, and you can view it in the browser and interact with it in the browser. Uh, And that would be our on-premises self-service BI story. It would be pure HTML5 as it is in in the cloud today, and so it wouldn't require Silverlight or anything like that would not require SharePoint, although you might be able to optionally embed the content mm-hmm. in SharePoint, but it wouldn't require SharePoint. Um, and we're actually, again, you'll, you'll see that we're taking more incremental steps towards things like this. Uh, with SQL Server 2016, you'll actually be able to take a Power BI desktop report, publish it to the server, and use it as sort of a, a better file share. You can uh, mm. organize the content in folders. You can manage security on it, who can see it, who can download it. Uh, but in the mm. short term, you'll need to be able to to open it up and actually see it, you'll need the Power BI desktop. Whereas the next yeah. step would be having the web viewer for it on-prem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, you'll that, see this. That makes sense. Yeah, you'll see the same experience with Excel workbooks as well. I mean, we wanted to make mm. sure that we get all four content types in there. Um, you know, I'm very excited about that just in the context of, you know, having a single place that I can manage all this, knowing the, you know, the type of feedback from customers, having favorites, um, and then being able to get, you know, as we move forward, then having that, you know, more full-blown support, that'll be mm-hmm. something that's a really nice story for folks. And again, you know, the, the feedback we've gotten so far, uh, people are very, very excited about that potential there, especially around Power BI Desktop and Excel. 
So, yeah. uh, you know, we're excited to be offering that, uh, even in an incremental step here in the short term. Mm. No, that's great. Actually, I suppose the, the actual final question is just relationship with uh, SharePoint. The um, is a question I'm sure will come up where, uh, again, a couple of years ago, whenever we were talking about enhancements to the portal, the pushback was we already have a portal product. It's called SharePoint. And all the directions seem to be heading towards uh, integration there. But I noticed this time all the move seems to be back into native mode. Yeah, I think that if you if you go back several years ago, right, SharePoint was the hot product. It was the fastest mm. selling Microsoft product and fastest growing Microsoft product of all time. Uh, everybody was building their intranets on SharePoint, and so everybody thought we should stop building portals in all of our applications, and really every, mm. everything should link into SharePoint as being the portal. And it, I think the misstep that was taken there was. It's great to think about how our products work better together, and people do certainly, even today, want to embed content into SharePoint, and we should yeah. have a path for them to do that and make it as easy as possible. Yeah. But I think what we did instead was, again, overshot and said, you can't get anything, you can't get any of our latest and greatest BI stuff unless you deploy SharePoint. Whether you want SharePoint yeah. or not, you've got to get SharePoint, you've got to go and set that up, and you've got to have your SharePoint team agree to having this BI stuff deployed mm. and integrated into SharePoint. And, you know, without going into all the problems of that, let's just say, I mean, mm. it, it was a friction um, in terms of adopting and just getting the BI stuff deployed. Yep. So I think in terms no, of... totally. Yeah. I, I think yeah, look, I think any of those... Out, any of those dependencies you can remove, that, that's, that's a good thing. It's a, I, I think the, the other thing that can happen is that as soon as you start taking dependencies and other things, it, it can have... Uh, unintended consequences as well. I mean, even uh, you mentioned earlier about Active Directory integration. Now, I'm doing work for a council uh, locally here at the moment, and and the thing is to get Power BI to talk to Analysis Services Tabular on-premises, which they have, uh, again, you need um, hybrid Active Directory in place. Now, they had started an Office 365 project, and that was going to provide the hybrid AD, but the problem is in Outlook on-premises, they had uh, an add-on called Objective, which they were using as a content management system, and it wouldn't work properly with the Outlook client you know, when using with Office 365. So that project got stalled. That stalled the hybrid AD. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So you end up in this situation where previously the, the BI people could just do it by themselves. Yeah, uh, and suddenly they got this dependency on some content management system that you know they have no interest in at all. Yeah, I mean this is this is one of these cases where you know when I first started with Microsoft going and talking to customers, uh, Power BI was not a thing yet, and yep. uh, so obviously SharePoint was the place where you go and talk about this. So I can remember very specifically the you know the, one of the very first customers that was interested, like what they saw, wanted to start a POC around this. The way that it would go is like okay. First, the security team got involved, then the server team, the Windows server team, mm -hmm. then the SQL team, then the SharePoint team, then the <laughs> BI team, and then the end users that would test the reports being created. You had to try and coordinate all six of these groups just to yep. do a pilot, and whereas yeah. now, right when I left, <laughs> and even now, you would be able in SQL Server 2016 with Azure now being far more prevalent in many of these customers, especially for test dev scenarios to get started with this type yep. of thing, the BI team can go directly spin up a server, have their content available, and get started. I think the feedback we got loud and clear was, not only do I not necessarily want to pay for SharePoint specifically to get the BI capabilities, but I'm very happy to get all my content in one place. That doesn't mean I want everything locked into that system and then unavailable to use in a more flexible way. Yeah. So it was, it was one of those things, like Ricardo said, it was a bit of an overshot. I mean, people were very interested in the capabilities, but once you put all of those hurdles in the way, they just be like, this is too much. I'm going to look for too an hard. alternative potentially, yeah. and that's where you see companies like Tableau and others taking advantage yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, very, very much the case. Yeah, that that sort of thing just suddenly makes it like too hard or something. And uh, and what, what was uh, frustrating in the case of the one where we were doing that is that even minor changes we were looking to get them to make to AD, there was nobody in the place prepared to even make those, and, and they oh, couldn't sure. think of any reason why not. But they also weren't prepared to make them. <laughs> you know, so, so it's much yeah. easier to say no 
than to say yes, because then you're not going to get in trouble for leaving it as is. But if you go, above, well, from security, I don't know. We got like I don't want to be the person holding the bag for this. That's it's right. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's totally. Hey, listen, guys, uh, that's uh, uh, bringing us up to time. That's been absolutely magnificent to to see where it's at. Um, I suppose. Uh, well, obviously there are launch events and things and stuff coming up over the next little period. Will Will we see you guys anywhere at any of the events coming up or uh, online? We will be at some conferences over the next uh, conference season. There's a main mm-hmm. launch event for SQL Server 2016 uh, just in a few days on March 10th in yeah. New York. Uh, the data-driven event? What was that? It's called the data-driven event? That's correct, yeah. So yep. we won't be at that particular one in, in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we've got the PATH, Professional Association of SQL Server Business Analytics yep. Conference, in early May where uh, mm-hmm. one of us will be there. Um, and then, yeah, you get into the total swing of conference season with uh, Ignite and other things like that where I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. between the, the two of us and other people on the team will have some presence there. We'll also be at the Data Insights Conference uh, later in March. Nice. Very good. That's right, yeah. Listen, yeah. Uh, there, I, I should have asked too, I suppose, is there anything announced as yet about um, what's in what additions in terms of reporting services? Like, I mean, previously the only thing that was enterprise was the data-driven subscriptions. I, I just don't know, is there any announcement or anything as yet as to what's in what? Like, and again, I suppose right down to Express, anything? Yeah, or so data, likely, data-driven uh, subscriptions was one reason to buy enterprise over standard. Um, that, that's in a way a little bit of an exception. The main reason to buy enterprise over standard uh, today is actually um, scale. You pay for the ability mm-hmm. to scale up to more cores, more memory, and most importantly, yep. to scale out across multiple servers. That's the main reason why mm-hmm. people buy enterprise for reporting services. Um, yep. As for the new stuff and whether what's slotting into which edition, uh, they're actually still having discussions about that. It's, mm-hmm. it's later in the cycle than I've ever really seen them doing that, so I guess they're having some some good debates about trying to balance having things in lower editions for viral adoption of these things for, for more customers to be able to access at least some subset yeah. of, of the new features um, versus, of course, having a reason for, for enterprises to, to buy enterprise mm. edition and uh, yeah. really not requiring people to pay for features that a small or medium-sized business may not need. So yeah. they haven't, uh, haven't locked down on that yet, but they're still working on it. Yeah, that's good. I think reporting is one of those ones that is is really critical uh, in around, again, things like the ISV community and so on. Because I know um, in years gone by, like, for example, when they didn't have reporting in, say, Express Edition and whatever, if you had an IS uh, software house that needs to support all different editions, they're not going to build different reports for uh, for one edition. They're just simply going to use a different reporting tool. Um, right. Now, if if they if it doesn't work across the edition, so yeah, I must admit my preference obviously is to to have people have as uh, much of a consistent uh, programming model or reporting model across the different editions. But uh, anyway, we'll see what comes out when uh, when that's announced shortly. Yep. Yep. That's wonderful, guys. Uh, thank you so very much for your time today, and we we will see you again sometime soon. Yeah, and we're really looking forward to the product. Yeah, so. Great. We're excited to bring it to you.